0: Support this podcast at patreon.com forward slash Chris Carl Photography Podcast. by saying that you are 100% on my Mount Rushmore of photographers. You're one no. of the main reasons that I do this as a job. So um, I can't tell you how much wow. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Um, really sincerely, thank you, thank you so much. Let's start off with why it is that you picked up a camera in the first place.
1: Okay, yeah. So it is always a... I, I feel like it's always a bad thing to do things that kind of play up the idea that I'm old. I'm actually not that old. I'm 41. Uh, but I go back because I, I started early enough. I started, uh, professionally, basically right out of college, uh, and, and even in college. So, uh, and I, did some some I lucked into some really big professional things that started me on my career uh, like a couple months out of college. So yes, I did technically start back in the days where a film camera was just called a camera. <laughs> uh, and, uh, so back before just just it was literally just picking up a camera. Um, my father was a a biggest camera collector. Uh, he just li- liked buying them. He liked using them. He had uh, several principles that I think are really good in general uh, for for at least for non-professionals uh, working in in the most exacting fields. Which is sort of uh, to buy the the second best camera. Right there's there's a you know such a. Uh, you know not the most expensive one because there's a lot of diminishing returns in price versus performance. So he was always, so you know he didn't have a Roly He had a Yashika 124. Uh, right. he didn't have the the Nikors at the time. He worked in the Minolta system and uh, which they're all amazing. And but you know less than half as much money. And so he had this, uh, you know, in addition to these, these other cameras, which I wasn't going to like, I tried picking up the the Ishika and I was like, what the heck is this? But uh, he, so my father died when I was eight. So, you know, I remember him and, and actually my mother was sort of the, became the documentarian of the family. Like she would, people made fun of her all the time because she would, like it would be somebody's birthday or something and she would take two rolls of film, right? Or like even at just random family events. They're like, what are you doing with all these photos? You take like a <laughs> roll of film every week. How can you, you know, like 36 photos a week. Who could deal with that many photos? <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I, but and those were all just on, you know, a little disposable-ish uh, cameras. But, you know, so I grew up, with the idea that that these events are things to document. And, but then, so my father died when I was eight, so I didn't really interact with those cameras in that way then. But I wanted, he was always very interested in things that honored him in any way. And so uh, when I got a little bit older in, in high school, 15, 16, and uh, came across these cameras, he had a, uh, especially at a, a Minolta uh SRT 101B. Um uh, people wanna wanna Google that and entirely like manual everything. I, I think you can take out the batteries and still shoot and you can bash it against a rock, which I did a couple times. Uh <laughs> and you know I, I was I was just really, really deeply interested in it. Uh only then just shot at your normal like high school uh photography class level, which is like here's a picture of you know, a basketball hoop. Here's a picture of, uh, of my friends. Here's a picture of my foot, whatever, just, you know, learning. Uh, but again, with a camera that, uh, you had, I don't even know if the exposure meter was working anymore. So I had to learn, uh, you know, all of those things, um, and to at least a basic level. And, and because, you know, then, uh, uh, we would all, you know, shot black and white and develop film, so you get to see, you know, exactly how much you've overexposed, underexposed, things like that. And, and so that was just, that was just a little taste. It's uh, I can't say that I went from there straight into like photographing every day of my life. Um, you know, then I I went to college and I uh, was primarily I my my real path into it professionally was was initially as a writer. Um, I sort of grew into uh, being a journalist. I was, became the editor-in-chief of my college newspaper, which meant that while going to college, I was working about 60 to 80 hours a week, uh, wow. unpaid, um, uh, in, a, in a labor of love or insanity. And uh, we started to, you know, I took a couple photos for them, but I was, you know, I was the editor-in-chief, I was prim- primarily a writer, uh, but I do remember uh, I did a couple assignments on a digital camera, which back then was just, just undescribably terrible. Uh, you know, you <laughs> wouldn't like, you wouldn't photograph like a GIF you put on, you put in a chat message now about it I, and with, the, with those kind of cameras. And, but, but I came out of there and uh, <laughs> I came out of college completely shell shocked, didn't know what to do. I graduated on May 20th. I defended my final thesis. I finished my thesis, basically, on May 19th. Um, so I hadn't even like had a second to look for a job or figure out what was happening with my life. So I sort of retreated uh, back, to, back to my home, started looking, started thinking. And uh, what I had was all of this journalistic experience and, and drive. And, you know, the chutzpah that that comes with it. And so, um, so I just, I, I kind of, I applied to my local paper, even though there wasn't a job, (laughs) you know, there was no position, uh, but I said, here I am, here's what I can do. And, and, uh, it wasn't long before I got a, got a job there. And, and, you know, what was nice about, cause I, cause I had also heard I had, I had, uh, you know i went to school in new york city and and so i had heard about uh, newsweek new york times you know uh what the experience is there and i knew that you know i love these institutions but i'd be getting coffee for 15 years before i had a byline yeah. and at a at, at this tiny little local paper uh you know i had one my my first job was not even writing but i had it for exactly 9 days before i was promoted to city editor and, you know, I started writing and, and designing. You kind of do everything. Um, so, uh, you know, in addition to, to writing and doing the pages, it started being like, okay, there's things going on. There's uh, there's assignments. We need people to, to photograph them. And I was like, okay, you know, I kind of know uh, how to um, look at photos and, and see what, you know, what a good photo is. I will give this a try. And and one of the things that kind of shaped me, uh, is, is about this time. Um, I also had access to, as a, to the AP photo wire, you know, and this is back in 2000 where, uh, having constant access to really good journalistic photos of the day was, was pretty, you know, especially in, in large resolution, uh, was pretty unheard of. There was no big picture. There was, you know, there was no New York times photo feed, but, you know, I had, everything coming in off the wire and I would spend like an hour each morning just looking at these photos and, uh, it was, you know, it sort of frames started to create like a visual library, a sense of, of what in this form of photography, at least, uh, was, was the kind of thing that was considered to be a good photo, right? Like that's, that's where our, uh, you know, some of our aesthetic comes from very basic things of like what makes a person more or less attractive, but a lot of it just comes from the other the millions of other photos that we've seen create a sense in us of like what a good photo is or looks like in a certain context. And so, I started taking in you know just a, a lot, a lot, a lot of this uh, this photojournalism coming in off the wire. And but then, like I said, very very quickly, I I uh, hit a couple really lucky breaks for someone so early in their career, um, and. Yeah, you know, I was still maybe three months out of college when I, um, <clears throat> when President Clinton came to, and his family, including uh, then candidate for senator Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, came to came to our town a, first to a vacation, but also to uh, to campaign somewhat for uh, for her race for Senate. And uh, I somehow like, because I was the editor, they were like, okay, you're also going to be a uh, you know, pool photographer uh, for, you know, for, for all the local papers for the, wow. uh, for, for the president. And I was like, great. Um, <laughs> how do, how do I use this camera? You know, that had the, uh, um, you know, the, now I'm presented with the, you know, the, the newspaper's camera and and selection of lenses and all those things, which I had, all I'd ever had was just this old little manual camera and like a 58 millimeter. And it's like, so, so first, and I also had this, this tiny little Sony cyber shot that shot literally, I think like 640 by 480. Uh, Maybe, maybe it was like, you know, it's like you could like go all the way up to 1024. And it shot to a floppy disk, and so, <laughs> so on the way to to some of these shoot, I, I, on the way to the first shoot, I was literally like spending the ride to the shoot to photograph the president, l- trying to figure out how to turn the camera on. <laughs> oh my god! And, um, but and so what really shows is that there's a, there's a bunch of other soft skills that um really matter in photography and i had you know none of the uh the basic skills that we all focus on that you know we think you know is the the be all and end all often and, you know the technical skills the i you know i know everything about my camera um but but a lot of these soft skills came from me being a writer and reporter so um <clears throat> So especially just like you know, hotspot uh, tenacity, uh, so I actually ended up with so little knowledge uh, winning a uh, play i can't remember if i don't think i can't remember if we came in first or second or anything, but a statewide award for photography coverage uh, because with this tiny little camera that had maybe like a fixed like fifty millimeter or something on it um i I used the fact that it was tiny and inconspicuous to basically sneak my way into a rally. And where, whereas all the AP shooters were like a thousand feet away, I was like six feet away from the president's oh, okay. family, shooting, shooting, getting like, you know, evil eyed by the secret service and things like that. But, <laughs> um, you know, I, and, uh, you know, was good enough for newsprint and, uh, and it just came out, well and and you know we got an award for it and i was like oh this is this is really fun this is really cool and so i started just uh, basically assigning myself assignments um and you know as the editor and and um was able to learn a lot of like just things on the ground and uh you know learning from first of all those those kind of like old school newspaper editors who which one of the things that most wedding photographers never have the experience of is shooting for people who are, who are not predisposed to like your photos because they're not of like them or people they love, but to, to shoot for a professional whose job basically is to chew you out or to be at an art school where, uh, where their job is to criticize you as well and make you better. Um, and, and I passed through both of those. I also had like a little stint at International Center for Photography. And, uh, you know, I mean, people, if you came in, and like, if your shots were a little tilted, they would like swear at you and be like, were you drunk when you took these? And, <laughs> and you know, make people like want to go off and cry. But, you know, it is, it is a valuable Part of the of the lesson, and and so so I started shooting sports and and all kinds of different things just because I uh, even like indoor sports, uh, I, like I even shot figure skating even though I wasn't um, you know super interested in it. I was interested in uh, you know, it was really very technical in a different way, and uh, just having more and more fun with it and be you know again being able to use uh, again the Nikon wasn't long after. Uh, the Clinton assignment that we we got in our first DSLR, the nikon d one and and the d and then then the D one h, and closed the dark room in like uh, I think like two thousand, maybe early two thousand and one. we closed our dark room no more no more film, and people were like, "Oh my God, this is insane. how can you how can you guys go digital only? And uh, but it you know it was it was just a huge revelation uh, for me to. I've always been that like instant gratification <laughs> kind of person, and right. all the things that we know know now about how uh, much more rapidly you can improve when you see the results. The things that kind of are like second nature to us, um, you know, was was just amazing to me. Um, and so the story gets a lot longer, <laughs> but I can, we can we can go. That those were those were my very basic and, and initial foundations.
0: I mean, you also photograph... I mean, I think the Clintons aren't the only people of influence that you photographed. How is it photographing people that have that kind of aura and that kind of presence in terms of... I mean, you seem like someone that's happy to say yes to an assignment and then figure out how to do it in the time before the assignment. But are you someone that's kind of intimidated by those strong personalities?
1: Yeah, so... So first of all, what's funny is I, I definitely do believe in saying yes uh, to assignments. And as recently as I think, I think two days ago, uh, I was given an assi- um, I was presented with an assignment that was highly technical, all about using like an 8K 360-degree uh, camera. So it was more, in the end, it was more like a camera operator position than a than a photography position. And like I didn't have the equipment. I've never used the equipment. I'm not like a 360-degree uh, you know, Google Maps shooter, but I was like, sure, you know, it'll I'll be fun to learn something new. So there, there's always something new, and I always want to say yes to it and, and then learn. And, and um, even now, uh, but but back to the the main question, it is. Uh, <laughs> I think, um, it, I have been. My my luck has continued to pace from there. I mean, one of the things that we still do is uh, I have been. The basically the photographer, the only non campaign or official photographer, you know, official like White House, like Pete Souza, White House staff photographer, who right. photographs the, the presidential candidates bef- the last time they meet before the election. And I've done that since 2008. So Obama and McCain, uh, Obama and Romney. Uh, I also had then photographed Bush uh, for the same newspaper w- way back when um but and uh and Trump and Hillary and and we are slated uh to photograph Trump and Biden uh later this year and it you know it's getting it's which has all kinds of new, you know, technically interesting things because, you know, with Trump and Hillary, it was like, how do you get them together without them like metaphorically killing each other? Uh, but with Trump and Biden this year, it's like, how do you get them together without them literally killing each other? And, 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 and without everyone else in the room, how can you, um, like, how can you even have this massive, extremely important indoor event with people who's, you know, it's extremely important that they not come down with coronavirus right before the right. election. Uh, so there's a lot of things going on with, with that, but it's, it's, I think, you know, what's really interesting other than, you know, especially when I first met Bill Clinton and it was, you know, a 20 year old, uh, and was just, you know, he's got that electric personality. Um, the, the, the people in general who have, uh, intimidated me most are, uh, a lot of the, the, the brilliant scientists that I've been able to photograph, uh, both through, through some of the institutions that I, that I work with. So, um, <laughs> I, I photo my, actually my very, very, so I, I photograph, uh, well, I was like, uh, you know a lot of Nobel Prize winners and Jane Goodall and and uh, and they, these people who have changed sort of the intellectual and scientific world behind them, and that's always intimidating. But my first, my very very first freelance assignment um, after you know another part of my career, we can skip over where uh, where I was a, a shooter for universities. My very first freelance assignment was as a uh, week long artist in residence at a, a no, sort of a Nobel prize winning laboratory which was the residence of james watson from watson and Crick, and since since then (laughs) everyone now like knows that he's this crazy old kook um because he he's done a lot of things since then that got in the news for like racism and misogyny and 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 all things like that but uh i hadn't but he's you know also brilliant of course, um but I you know we didn't know that uh you know, walking in, and so here I am at my very very first freelance assignment, and still in my twenties and and you know just this kid you know coming in, and my job is to photograph you know this this person he who he won a Nobel Prize for work he did when he was like twenty four and you know with the, the double key licks and the DNA and I, and I walk in. And I'm like, okay, Mister Mister Watson, nice to meet you. I'm I'm here to I'm here to photograph you. And he's like, I have plenty of photographs of me. Why don't we <laughs> go? You know what I'd really like is uh, photographs of the trees in my yard. <laughs> I'm yeah, and he goes from there. you know, I have to say. You know, but I'm I'm really here. I'm actually supposed to photograph you, and we're actually doing a, a like we're presenting a gallery of the part of this assignment was that um, there would be an art gallery of my work uh, of portraits of uh, of these people and the grounds things like that. And it was pretty important to to actually be able to photograph this man um, for the for a, like a gallery that people would come to and watch and view the photos. And, there might be questions if, if I only had photos of his trees. And so <laughs> it's it's really, really, really about the soft skills, learning the soft skills like being able to uh, deal with people, to open them up and to, to kind of sometimes figure your way out of these impossible situations. Um, right. That, that is, and those things those are the things that are much, much, much harder to learn, especially now uh with, where cameras do literally everything for you. Um, that's much harder to learn than like, you know, f stops and, and uh you know and, and what shutter speed will freeze action and things like that. Uh so so that that's what takes the, the bulk of the career.
0: Well, yeah, I mean something that I struggle with. When I first started was how to deal with a difficult interpersonal relationship with someone that you had to photograph and the way that I taught myself to deal with that was to offset what wasn't working in terms of us getting on with focusing myself on the technical aspects of the photography because then I could stay sort of creatively free without feeling completely crushed as a person by the fact that we weren't getting along. Is that something that you do in terms of you know if you're just not getting on with someone if it's just not um, clicking? Do you do you switch over and focus on on the actual photo and the camera itself?
1: Yeah. So my my the first thing that I do in that situation is I really really figure out how I can repair this relationship. Um, and, and and that's now. So uh, so again, you, know, you got me thinking of, of way back when I I uh, I started out. You know, I learned all the technical you know, very early is easy. I'm a technical person. Uh, And the only thing that I had going for me is I I was able to realize that that wasn't wasn't it. That wasn't the be all and end all because I had also gone to art school and I had met people who didn't literally, like would come to me and say, I got this thing, it's called a flash. I don't know how to turn it on, but we're producing brilliant, emotional, uh, cutting work. Even though they had no technical skill whatsoever and right. so and so I realized that, that that was really crucially important and with the work that we do, where the one of the things I like about it is that you, the the person who's hired you and the subject are the same person or their their goals are aligned, which can be very, very different than like editorial photography uh so that relationship is is everything because if they like you they will like the photos. Um, you know, they're almost guaranteed to like the photos if they really right. love you as a person. If they, if they, whereas if they have decided for whatever reason that they hate you, there is, you, it doesn't, it does not matter how award-winning, how, like, you can win literally, like, the number one worldwide award for your photos of that wedding and they will pay those photos. and i have seen this i've 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 seen this uh, with experiences of other photographers I've, I've seen that to some extent you know uh with some clients um where and so it is on that level it, it is extremely crucial but also you know for me uh when i'm looking at my work and also when i'm looking at the work of others it does not matter uh, when you're talking about weddings and, and this type of photography, it doesn't matter anything that's happening in the rest of the photo. How beautiful the landscape is, how what kind of crazy techniques they've used in the lightings or a panorama or whatever, it does, the photo is a failure if I can see that the, the couple looks uncomfortable. Right. right. And doesn't look like in the moment, um, you know, emotional, because that's the point that that emotional resonance is everything for, for what we do. And so, uh, body language expression that's in, in any wedding portrait and anything, uh, you know, generally in, in any portrait, like they have to have the kind of emotion even even if it's relatively blank or whatever but they have to have the kind of emotion that you want for your work and what you're going for because what you're doing is photographing people so if i'm if i it's <laughs> like i think back to the movie almost Famous. this it's like i look for the person who's not getting off and i make them get off like you want to <laughs> find the you know the you want to find the person who you're not clicking with and you want to say what what can i find and part of that is finding in yourself and and this is uh, a related and also big challenge is often to say okay what do I what can I find that I really like or love or understand or appreciate about this person so taking the relationship um, the other way first because often you know I mean first of all sometimes people are just assholes right like and if not <laughs> even if they're not like like you know we have a much I think you know because it's a self-selecting group, right? Like we, uh, there are our ratio of of people who have hired us who are who are assholes is is just vanishingly smaller than I would say the the percentage of the general population. Um, you know, we we work with really amazing people uh, because it's a self-selecting group. These are the kind of people who come to us, um, <clears throat> but and you know and the, and the kind of work that we present that isn't like just all about me and how fabulous I am, but is about families and and about the fun that people have. But, uh, but there's, you, you also, there's a bunch of people at weddings that that haven't hired you and, and they're also often really, really, they're super stressed out. Maybe like they've been screaming at each other. And, and so like, even if people aren't inherently like that, it can bring out people's inner asshole. And so the first step is to say, um okay what do what do i sympathize with empathize with and in this person what are what are the things that uh that i find that i can like or ideally even like love about this person just just for this day and and to understand and, and so for example i think one of the things that took me longest to really get because you know i'm not in a position to to naturally sympathize with was it, uh, you know, mothers of the bride who were snappy. You know, super, super uh, stressed, super high strung. They they get snappy. To I mean, you know, I have stories that I could just tell you, and and we would say, ha ha ha, that person is insane for the things that they said. Um, but. if if you just leave it there and you're like, well, sometimes mothers of the bride are insane and that's just how it works. Uh, then you've really kind of missed something in your, your empathy with humanity and and you've missed something and therefore you. Then you've missed something in the way in which you can service them and relate to them for something that's all about empathy and and delivering photos that should make them happy. And so, you know, I, so I would sat down and I, and I, I recognize this from, from one wedding, um, You know, that I I remember um, saying, okay, why, where is this unhappiness coming from? And I realized that a lot of times, uh, you know, at least in American weddings, so the, and and Western, um, the, the mother of the bride may have put more work and certainly more emotion and thought and history into this wedding day than any other person, including the bride including the couple and, and, and then on the wedding day, there's nothing for them. There's nothing for the mother of the bride and, and, and most wedding, wedding ceremonies. If they're not involved in like the getting ready and the, and the, the putting the, the bracelet on, which isn't you know technically part of the wedding at all, then there is, you know, again, by default, there is no mother daughter dance. There is no, uh, right. you know, she's not walking her down the aisle. So it is, if you're not careful, it is uh, very easy to, um, first of all, you know for you to have uh, the mother the bride super undercovered because there's nothing going on. But also like it's very easy for them throughout the day. For the mother and the daughter to like not interact together in any way, if they're not really thinking about it, and that creates you know this this real like emotional discontent, and and that then leads to like if they're not interacting together, then then you're you're not going to be really photographing that uh, you know unless you're very very intentional about it. And I, you know, I realized, oh oh, there's this is like real. This is the you know I can see where somebody would have this deep emotional discontent that is not even primarily about me or photography or, or anything, but it bleeds out into that. And now that I empathize with that, now that I understand that, now I can work with that. And, and uh, not only can I make my photography better for this person, but I can I can help, you know, even like heal this relationship and, and uh, make this person happier even on the wedding day itself, uh, just by being the person who realizes that, recognizes that, helps deal with it in some ways uh, in the planning process before the wedding day, um, you know everything from just think, you know just saying like, hey, you know what, you know what role is your mother going to play with this, or you know certainly every time on like family lists. Um, you know, saying, okay, as we do a family list, by the way, you, you really should absolutely check with your parents and, you know, their stakeholders too. And, and what are the things, you know, what is everything that we can do so that the next day, no one unnecessarily says I'm unhappy because this photograph wasn't taken. And and so we right. want to know all those things. And it's, it's not something that we do grudgingly. You know, a lot of photographers are like, Oh, okay. Family photos. Oh, okay. You know, if we uh you know whatever it is, even if it's like a table shot or something, um we say okay we're gonna we're gonna find we want to make sure that you you're achieving your actual goals, so maybe we're not going to photograph the thirty tables if it's just something um you know if twenty five of these tables don't care and you don't care, and they'd rather be on the dance floor once upon a time before coronavirus and yeah. uh <laughs> But, um, but like for those five tables, maybe the work the parents, work friends and and the mom's friends who, and who she's known for 40 years. And and they really, it's so important to them to have this photo together. Like we want to do it. We want to do it well, you know, which probably means, you know, and so, and we take a certain kind of joy in it. Um, because we have learned one of the, one of the biggest things and one of the reasons that we still love weddings uh, every time, you know, 800-plus weddings for uh, for me later, is <clears throat> that we take joy in doing anything well, right? Like in, in knowing at any moment that you're good at something. And yeah. so to say like, okay, how, how can I charm these people, get them away from the, from the table for a second, make sure that they have this good experience, it takes two minutes, whatever, and, and you're doing something that is really valuable for them. Uh, in that moment, even though it's artistically nothing uh, you know it will win no awards it will no one will Will you wouldn't show it on a blog and you know whatever it is but but you're doing something that you know that that, that has incredible value in its own way and there's time to do all of these different things so uh so yeah, that, that really is you know, sort of a, a long answer to, to sort of our, our journey through these things is, you know, it, it, and it extrapolates from there. Cause that was my, that was my hardest relationship to understand because I'm, I'm, I have not ever been a mother of the bride, um, right. but you know, having, having been, uh, you know, through all of this, having been married, having, uh, you know, knowing, about, you know, just having been a young person, having, you know, <laughs> and, and like to think, you know, yeah, I'm still not that far off um, having, but like, you know, having dealt with, you know, all of the anticipation of, you know, things like that, those are easier to sympathize with. And yeah, so, so that, that's just uh one illustrative relationship that we had to like, we had to come to understanding after. Many years of of not. I I I don't think it's finally clicked for me until 2013. You know, I'd I'd already been uh, you know full time photographing weddings for you know more than five years before it really clicked for me.
0: I mean, earlier on, you mentioned emotional resonance being a big part of being a wedding photographer in general. Is that something that led you down the path of shooting weddings? Was kind of chasing something that carried more emotional weight in terms of photography?
1: Yes yeah absolutely um because you know before weddings again you know i came from photojournalism uh and you know in the meantime i had done a lot of other kinds of photography Uh, i had worked for columbia university you know as a photographer and uh you know started i did a lot of corporate work you know i i even i i realized that there was value in (laughs) in kind of zigging where other people zag even professionally and and so um, you know, these days especially, it's like there's a lot of there's a lot of people in their 20s who get into you know wedding photography, portrait photography, photo concert photography, things like that. There are not so many 20 uh, somethings like I was who learned to shoot an entire annual report. Right. <laughs> and right. Uh, so those are those you know those are things that I was doing before. Um, but I always, always loved weddings. I love. I have a big boisterous family. And, but the things that I, usually when people say they love weddings, they're like, well, I love wedding dresses. I love, you know, I'm, I have a trapper keeper. I love, I love prettiness. I love the, You know, that's usually what you think of when somebody says like, you know, I love weddings, but you know, I have this crazy boisterous Irish family who still 800 weddings later. There are things that I've only seen happen at my own family weddings and, uh, (laughs) And it was just um, such an amazing emotional experience to hang out with these people and see the craziness. Uh, you know, I mean, again, my aunt's wedding—we sent three of my family members in separate incidents to the hospital with injuries, oh my not like alcohol, <laughs> you know. So, um, like, it, it gets really crazy, and and that is amazing. And I have all of these—you know, 30, 35 years later, because you know a lot of these were as a little kid. Uh, I still have these really valuable memories, and that was what I loved, and so that was immediately what I focused on, and and I said, you know, so w- I was like, I knew that weddings were amazing, and and um, but in in that certain way, and that was always what I was interested in, and you know, I I just said like to to be able to to take some of these skills and create something that I know is meaningful. Um, that I know that like every time I show up to work, I'm doing something that people will still think about 40, 50 years later. Um, you know that is that's just absolutely incredible. And so uh, that took me <laughs> that that just I just instantly had a drive for that and a love for that. I mean, the first time the first time you take photos and you and people see them and they start crying, and you're like. Oh my God! <laughs> that, like this can ha- like you know th- this doesn't happen in other jobs. You you don't like uh, you don't present a TPS report to somebody and they become so so overlaid in with joy and uh, <laughs> that they just burst into tears and uh, and there there's so there's so so much uh, that's brought on this. I mean I've I've even had. Um, a couple of times I've had people like tear up at photos of other people's (laughs) weddings just like during the client meeting. And I'm like, like, Oh my God, this is a, I, you know, I'm hired. I can tell, but, um, what, what, like what an amazing thing. And, um, you know i was able again what's so interesting about the, about the industry uh the way it went through technological revolutions and things and um the way so much has changed is that in a way uh you know i've been anyone uh, has been feeling old for a long time right like you, i've yeah. been I feel like I'd been in the job like a year when I was, when I was already like, I feel old, you know, it's like, I, uh, I, I saw a story or something um, uh, a month ago where some 17 year old was, was talking about how TikTok made her feel. Right. And, um, you know, it's a little like that. You, you know, you've been, if you've been in the industry more than two years, like things have changed and you feel like you've like what, the, the kinds of changes that a generation ago would have taken decades, right and so yeah um, you know and and people have been i I now do feel I have an, enough experience that I have genuine expertise, but people have been describing expertise to me since long before I had it, and so right. yeah, you do like like I know that there are, you know you I feel like a great grandfather in ways because I know that there are people who are wedding photographers now because they were inspired by the person who was inspired by the person who was inspired by the person who was inspired by me, even though, you know, again, I've only been shooting for like 15, 16 years, uh, which is, you know, not, uh, like that's not an unheard of thing. Um, so it's just been, it's just been going at a, uh, you know such such an incredibly fast pace um and you know i i i lost i lost the thread in pursuit in pursuit of some funny ideas there <laughs> but
0: well if I could just um if I could track back to something you said near the beginning which was about your your mum being the documentarian of the family or taking on that role and and then you mentioned sort of trying to empathize with people on the wedding day so that you can you can find a common ground and and hopefully like or love them as you put it does being the subject of your mum's many 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 photos put you in a good position to empathize with people that aren't used to being in front of the camera when you're photographing them
1: Yeah yeah I well um Yeah. And, you know, what it does in a certain way, because I, you know, she wasn't, again, she was a documentarian, right? And and, um, again, in a very, very simple way, the kinds of of things that, you know, we don't even think about now. It's just like, oh, I'm, you know, it's a birthday party. I'm just going to grab some shots with my, my iPhone. Uh, so I wasn't like sitting for portraits a lot as a kid, and and I uh, wasn't. We weren't, we weren't doing it for the gram, um, <laughs> and but you know, but I could I could see the the value of all of these things, and and one of the things that one of my early memories that brings home uh, how how much value wedding photos have, uh, you know, for for decades is is I re, uh, I remember being a very little child, maybe four or five, and looking at my parents' wedding album and being enraged that I wasn't in any of the photos. (laughs) Like, (laughs) how could they have this big event and like, where are the photos of me? Uh, And they're like, well, there was a time before you were born and things happen. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, so, so it is like, it's a really important part of family history. But since you know we're spending so much time on on uh you know early early career, one of the things um and I've I mentioned glancingly that um it's valuable to have the professional training of, of people who uh you know want a certain kind of thing from you. But I also I also went through the uh some of the, the art school world where they want a very different kind of thing. And so to see your clients want one thing uh you know a, a newspaper editor an art director wants a certain different kind of thing and an art school you know wants a, a third kind of thing, and you see what how much audiences matter and so one of one of the first things that happened uh when I was at i c p in the document, documentation class was this uh, so that there were there were two assignments that were just Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant instructional assignments. Um, and these are the first two weeks of school uh, uh, of this class. And, and so, and, and the first one, I'll just move past. But it, this one, I this one, I think everyone should do. If you're a photographer you're listening, um, try, you know, try and do this for yourself. If you won't, you know, don't get put to the police. But it was uh, find a person on the street and take a photograph of them. And like, you know, take a portrait of them, obviously, you know, they know it. And so, okay, okay, this sounds normal. This sounds like, yeah. But, um, but the entire assignment was find a person on the street that you've never met before and take a photograph of them inside their house.
0: Wow.
1: Right? Yeah. So you have to, so all of a sudden you have to, you have to overcome things in yourself You have to, uh, you have to learn how to build trust in others. You have to learn how there's so you've gone from something that was like pretty normal. Like, um, okay. Yeah, I can, I can do that. I can, I can, I can, I can walk up to somebody and, and explain my situation and and give them a photograph. But like, how do you get to that, that next level, which is a huge jump. And, but then, so the second week's assignment, which gets actually to the question was, you know, then he sat down and he said, Okay. So, uh, so now all you people who have just met each other, um, and specifically I'll pair you off in like boy, girl, boy, girl, where there, there might be some kind of tension. Um, your assignment for next week is I, I want you guys to, to, uh, come back and photo, photo with uh, portraits of each other. Again, great, easy. Second part, nude portraits. (laughs) And this is, this is. So this is a class on like, on, uh, storytelling and documentation. And, you know, it wasn't like, uh, you know, a fine art class. And so for him to say like, you know, not only, okay, a, you're going to photograph this person uh, across from you in the nude, B, they're going to photograph you, C, then we are going to put up all these photos on the wall and we're going to discuss them. And so, so first of all, like you know, you loses about you know twenty five percent of the class before the you know, before the next <laughs> class shows <laughs> up. Um, but what you know, what an amazingly incredible experience in learning about vulnerability and how to overcome that than to uh, than to be photographed to, to to at the same time. Um learn to approach somebody who is in this unexpected uh, uh, uncomfortable situation, and then to be in that situation yourself and to to learn to be a, a subject because you know i photograph I photograph a lot of photographers because you know my work is known by a lot of photographers, and so we do a lot of photographers' weddings and uh, or people come in for portraits and uh, photographers are often like the most um the most pathologically uh uh camera shy people that there are and uh, so uh they often have just the hardest shells to to crack through and uh, because beca- very very few of them have have been in, in these kinds of experiences um especially like if, basically like if you're going to be people who are photographed nude tend to be people who are very comfortable like being nude in front of other people or like again doing it for the gram or whatever. So to to break through to, to not be that kind of person, but to have to break through simply because you want to learn uh, more about vulnerability and the human experience and, and things like that is it was yeah. I mean a just these are just two of the most brilliant assignments that uh, for um, for for learning about the human experience within within the span of like eight days, um, and but be and I really 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 got a lot from that. Uh, so so yeah so I have been um, yeah there are this is all a long way of saying that there are technically nudes of me floating around, <laughs> there, but um, but. Uh, but yeah, no. I mean, that those those kinds of things. I, I do think uh, photographers, especially if if you are the kind of person who does not, the more that you do not like being photographed, the more that you should be photographed. You should be photographed in exactly the type of setting that you are photographing other people. Um, so when we started doing family photography, one of the most important things. Um, When you do family photography is to have yourself and and your family and whatever that is photographed in the very same way, in the very, the very same system, just it's, it's crucially important. I don't think we really understood family photography to a certain level until we were photographed. Um, You know, the same way I always, I always said, like, again, I, um, 90% of the empathy. I I feel like every wedding photographer should just get married. (laughs) Should just like have a practice wedding. Um, you know, so yeah, I did, I was married young and it didn't work out and that's fine. She's fine. We just weren't the right person for each other. Um, you know, so I was photographed, I was married once before Tatiana and like, but you know, the, the marriage didn't work out, but oh my God, I learned so much about, about weddings and, and, and also (laughs) in the process and what it was like to deal with a wedding photographer and, and, and what was important and, and what wasn't and the, the things that you should watch out for because uh, my wedding photographer, I'm sure is not, you know, it would be very hard to, to find her. She, she's long gone from the business. Um, but, you know, was was someone I regarded as a brilliant photographer at the time, but then I learned that she was like insane. And uh, <laughs> like that we, we learned on the way up to the wedding that she had a long list of, of disappointing clients who literally didn't have their wedding photos and, oh, no. uh, which is, these are things that are super important. So I said on the wedding day, um, I was like, you know, it's like, okay, uh, this is really great. By the way, before you leave the premises, I need to download your cards <laughs> because I know that you've got things going on and, um, and you have a bunch of clients who've never seen any, any wedding photos. So, um, and you know, so, so the. But you learn so much about just being on the other side um so it's like it's obviously facetious um uh, but it's it also re, it gets to that sense of you know you probably probably shouldn't all actually get married just to learn what it's like, but it would really help if you did so um so what you do then is to say oh, well okay i should be i should be if i if I have a partner we should be photo apps. You know, like it's like it's an engagement session, and maybe with a few different photographers to to understand you know different styles and and different styles of working with clients. And uh, if we, you know, if I don't, you know, even I am not in a relationship, I should still be photographed by different people to, to learn that, um, or you know, just just whatever you can do, um, because that that will help you bridge the gap a great deal.
0: No, I completely agree. I actually, um, I found my way into photography because of the terrible experience I had with my wedding photographer. So I'm definitely there with you. That's a common story. Yeah, that's it's, it's kind of it's kind of strange, right? You'd think it would be like you were so inspired by your wedding photographer, but it's actually the other way around. It seems to be. I first came across you in a sort of long form interview slash behind the scenes shoot that you did for um, a YouTube channel called The Frame Network. And there were some absolute pearls in there um, in terms of quotes that if, if I can just uh, read a couple of my favourites and then I will get to a question, I promise. The The first one that you pretty much started the interview with was that you, you don't believe in having secrets as uh, as a photographer and that you should be dependent on something like hard work and the honesty and, and sort of the, almost the personality of your work as opposed to having some kind of and for want of a better word, it's the word I would use, but having some kind of gimmick that um, you hide from other people so that you're the only one that can do it because as soon as someone Finds that you are kind of, as we would say in England, you're caught with your trousers down. I guess I thought that was fascinating because it's an industry entirely built on people trying to sell you um, the snake oil that's going to solve all your problems. Um, the next quote that I absolutely loved, um, my pretty much my my favorite quote of yours was anything outside the le- anything outside the frame doesn't exist, and that's been really pivotal for me in photographing weddings that. There were perhaps angles that were great, but a lot of angles that weren't in terms of you had to you had to be very selective with your framing to get the most out of the venue is probably the most conservative way that I can say it. And I think that's a really interesting quote. But it's going to lead me on to my next question. Um, My favorite quote of the whole thing was uh, a sarcastic quote that you made, which was, uh, hey, buddy, I've got a method. Hmm. And I pretty much owe my career to learning the Brenizer method in its entirety. It's pretty much I I, I pretty much owe my career to it. I'm I'm definitely that guy with the gimmick, and unfortunately, it's definitely uh, your thing. So, for those that don't know, what is the Brenizer method, and how did it come about?
1: So um, yeah, so it's, uh, let's see if I can speed run uh, through that story. So, um, so so basically, the the, the Brenizer method. Uh, uh, Twelve years ago. Twelve. Oh my god. Uh, 12 years ago, I, uh, just, I was trying to work through a problem. Um, you know, I, I said, uh, you know, again, I was a very technical photographer even before I was, uh, you know, uh, an emotional photographer and, and, you know, you know, a math person. And so mm-hmm. I was just, uh, I was working through it. I was like, you know, what I really want is, uh, I, I have a scene that I want to photograph and I, um, I want a shallow depth of field, you know, I actually had a 70 to on me at a time, uh, and, uh, which is rare for just personal travels. But I was like, I, I, you know, what I want is the, the, the depth of field of, of this lens at 200. Um, but I, I would, I, when I want the frame of it at, at like 70 or, or even 50, I want to really photograph the scene, but I want it in kind of that more like large formatty, uh, you know, um, kind of wide, wider angle, um, but three dimensional look, and it and it just clicked in my head that I was like, wait, why why not? Um, I've like, been like, I've been you know I, I was on a travel, so I've been doing panoramas um, all all day, and and so, um, so to get, to get straight to the answer, basically most panoramas, uh, especially historically, um, have been about. Uh, resolution or or just achieving something that is impossibly wide. Uh, and again, like the right. entire photography landscape it has changed six times over since 2008. Um, but, you know, especially then, it's it's about like, you know, making a high resolution photo with a 12 megapixel camera back then or, or um, you know, and so uh, this is, was not that at all. I, I didn't need resolution, but but what I needed basically was to turn my camera into a large format camera. So the reason that with a, um, a medium format camera or a large format camera, or just the difference between your DSLR and your cell phone, and the reason that you can you know, naturally, without software, uh, get a deep depth of field uh, or a shallow depth of field and, and you know, a lot of blur and 3D effects uh, with your DSLR, is that the, the sensor is larger. And so, uh, a a thirty-five, an actual thirty-five millimeter lens on a um, on like a cell phone would be just an unbelievable telephoto. Like you could photograph a crater on the moon. uh, Where, uh, but that's and and so what you're really photographing with on a cell phone is like a often a three millimeter lens. And so and those. Have you know basically infinite depth of field, and so so to say okay. Whereas there is a, a very very shallow depth of field at like a two hundred millimeter on a, on a 2K, 2.8, and so and to say okay, um, you know, I I want this kind of very shallow depth of field, but I I want it to to not be a super telephoto photo. It should work to just do a big, a giant panorama of this. This should mathematically all come out okay. Uh, if you know, if I turn, so if I turn a, a 200 millimeter photo uh, at 2.8 into something that is uh, kind of just like a 100 millimeter photo, uh, it should work out that it this looks like. Um, you know, in a very basic sense, I should get all of this uh, 3D effect. Um, mathematically, the way it works out is I should get like a 100 millimeter F1.4 uh, effect because right. basically the math is is just the reverse of a teleconverter. Um, so if you put on a two times teleconverter, of, you know, an, an imaginary 100 millimeter F1.4 would become a 200 millimeter 2.8. And so I was like, if I just do panoramas, I can basically make the effects of, of lenses that are either impossible or that you'd have to wheel around in a wheelbarrow. And so, uh, so I just tried a bunch of it and I was like, I, you know, I took it home that night and crossed all my fingers. I was like, Oh my God, I hope, I hope this works. And, uh, and they, they worked great and beautifully, like beyond my wildest dreams, just, you know, right away. And so um, so I first jumped right into it. Like the, the when I look back, the first week of it, um, I you know I'm I'm proud. What I'm what I'm then proud of is that next week, like it clicked for me, and I and I got in a way got lucky or, or used uh, the prior conditions well uh, at that moment. But I'm, I'm proud of that. In the next week, I did things that even are are kind of rare for people today. Is you know I. I while I was still on vacation, I said, "Okay, I've got this thing." And so, uh, first of all, I want to go out and and, and um, see if this is just a thing that like people do, and uh, I I just hadn't run across it before. Like, have you know? There's so many people photographing. So even then, you know, this. Now there's infinite people photographing infinite things. But even then, I'm like, there's so many people photographing so many things. This must be a thing that I just haven't discovered. And so I, I put it out to my, to my social network at the time and a bunch of other photographers. I was like, do you understand what's happening here? Have you seen this before? And, <laughs> and they were all like, they were like, no, I have no idea what you're doing. So it's like, okay, maybe I'm onto something. And, but, but then I said, okay, well, so how do I do this with lighting? How do I do that? Okay, uh, it's how I can use continuous lighting. How do I do this with flash? And how do I do this of candid scenes? How can I take a, uh, you know, because um, I shoot people. Like, um, you know, this is obviously easiest to do with stationary objects. I said, okay, how can I shoot people with this, like, on day one? And then, you know, in day two, I was like, how can I shoot Action scenes with this, and and uh, that that was all you know in the in the first week. And so by the time, uh, you know, by the time I was, I wanted to share it with people. I wanted to share it immediately, but I, I wanted to just like figure all this stuff out. And so it was like two weeks later that I that I shared exactly what was going on and, and what I did because, like you said, there's there's no point in in, in keeping secrets, um, and you know there are no secret, which is good because there's no, no secrets left anymore. There's just tutorials. And, um, but it it was that work that, uh, that I'm almost more proud of, of, of not just like sitting on the laurels, but saying, okay, there is this technique. How do I do interesting things with it and make good photos with it? Um, so i never really uh i very rarely like talk about this with clients or bring it up in client meetings unless it's somehow relevant uh because first of all like having done this thing 12 years ago like you know anything you, like it doesn't you know it doesn't matter to somebody on their wedding day but second of all like no technique no no matter what you're capable of matters uh, unless it makes a good photo so you can you know there are things that are technically harder. You can say, like, well, you know, I can uh, I can light a 50-feet piece of seamless uh, to within a variance of one-eighth of a stop, and that's technically amazing, but, uh, you know, it has no value unless you use it to somehow create a great photo. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, so the same thing here is if you're... Um, it's valuable to you and to, uh, you know, to test and practice and it's fun. Um, but for clients and for people and, and for creating art, it's, it's only valuable if you create a, a good photo and if there was a reason to use it and if it genuinely enhanced the photo. And so, um, and so it's actually more valuable for me to not talk about it or, or tell clients about it uh, so that, Um, I knew it was working if the clients didn't know what was going on, but still said, Oh my God, this is one of my favorite photos. I love this photo. And, but it wasn't, I love this photo because it was a panorama. It was just, I love this photo because it speaks to me and the incredibly shallow depth of field somehow added to that. Um, But the photo was successful on its own terms. Um, And, one of the things that continues to be a challenge uh, with that is that it requires a lot of pre-visualization because at no you're doing you're you're photographing a scene, but you're often photos maybe you're photographing it in seventy different photos, and no individual photo looks like the final output. Yeah. And so uh, so a you really have to pre-visualize uh, the kind of scene uh, that you're photographing, and there is a real, real, real uh, cognitive, bias to just having the the subjects in the middle and photographing around and um and which is not you know the way that you would frame every photo that you ever take but it's very easy to 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 photograph every breneiser method image that you ever take that way and 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 that's something you know it's (laughs) very easy for everyone including ourselves so you want to start from okay you know what do i want to do here to make this into do an interesting photo and 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 just having the the shallow depth of field is it enough and and i you know i'm again talking about secrets and 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 versus um you know working hard and trying to create interesting images i'm glad that we've had that approach because of course now you can to some extent, you know, approximate it all entirely in software, right? So if that was, if the depth of field was the only thing working for a photo, you can get 80% of the way there now with somebody's cell phone. Um, And so, you know, so so you, you always want to make sure that you are, um, that you're walking out with a photo that is great and that every choice you made, including whether or not to, to use this technique, um, was the right choice.
0: Amazing. Honestly, it's, it's, I can't overstate it enough, the amount that it's done for me as a photographer. Um, if it's okay with you, I'd love to ask you a, a couple of sort of quickfire, um, ease or all questions to just kind of catch you yeah. cold. So the first one, shooting varied genres for a developing photographer, good or bad?
1: Oh, good. I mean, wedding photography is like 100 genres um, and in, in and of itself. So you are shooting uh, various genres, whether you want to or not.
0: Telling comprehensive stories versus a single shot narrative, which do you prefer?
1: Uh, I have always preferred telling comprehensive stories, which puts me a little bit out of step with like the age of Instagram. Um, but I-, I prefer blog posts to individual images by and large.
0: Bad light or difficult people?
1: Uh, bad light. I mean, if you're talking about what's easier, um, bad, bad light is a, is
0: a thousand times easier. And um, my last one, technical ability or persistence, which is better? persistence, um, you will,
1: because technical ability comes, it's one of the easiest things to come. So persistence, uh, <laughs> I mean, there is, uh, so there's a quote from from Calvin Coolidge and I'm going to mingle a little bit because I'm going from memory um, that I love. Uh, Calvin Coolidge, was a, he was a U.S. president at, who almost never said anything. He was known as Silent Cal. So this is probably the longest quote that's ever from him. And um, he said, uh, basically, talent doesn't matter. You know, the uh, <laughs> the world is filled with, you know, derelict, talented people and, and uh, you know, people who have excellent education. Um, talent and genius and giftedness doesn't matter at all. The only thing that matters is persistence. Um, and so, because it, that's what will take you through all the things that you, that you need to learn. So if you say, Um, you know, maybe there is something technical that is difficult for you to say like, man, I really just can't get lighting down. It's really, you know, it's really hard for me, uh, to to work these ratios and, and things like that. But if you have persistence, you will learn that. Absolutely. Um, but things that are more common, like, boy, I'm, you know, I'm just not. Used to interacting with people in this way, and maybe I'm a natural introvert, and and or you know maybe I'm just naturally uncomfortable around people. What what does it take to get there? And there are ways to do that, but the thing that they will take is persistence. And then you know, especially when you're dealing with a moment like we are now, where everything is falling apart, and and you know maybe there's there's injuries to your pride where you're like, Oh my God, I had this great career uh, six months ago and now everything, everything is gone. And and maybe I'm I, and no one will hire me for the rate that I was. And, and you know, what do I do next? And the only thing that's going to get you through is persistence um, and ability to adapt and, and to say, if that doesn't work, I'm going to do this. I'm going to continue on grit. And so that goes hand in hand with uh, with throwing aside pride, with throwing aside um, uh, you know this feeling that the most important thing is impressing other wedding photographers instead of like working with people to produce meaningful and beautiful work uh, that hits them at an emotional level. But if you say like, oh, I have to I have to price at a certain level because otherwise. Um, you know, I'll feel bad in front of other photographers. And if that, like, even enters into your calculus at all, then you've gotten off track a little bit. And, but just saying, I have to make this work, I have to continue because the only thing that's going to get you there is to say, I have to continue because I love this. Even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, maybe for us, especially when it's hard, um, we love inherently solving problems. And like it's interesting and it's fun for us. And so this is, this is not easy. And, and the coronavirus is not fun. Um, but they, you know we have these moments of saying like, well, it is a it is a new challenge. Um, and so if we can solve this, we can. Uh, there's parts of it we can feel good about. And so and that's where persistence comes from because you can't just you can't just do something you hate and say. And like grit your teeth and say, I will be persistent because you will burn out. You will not be persistent. And even if you are, um, because your back is against the wall, you will be miserable. And that's not the way to go forward. So find the things about it that you love. Um, you know, maybe shunt off the parts that you do hate to other people. Uh, you know, there's a lot, lots of ways to do that now. And, you know, and, and that's, that's truly, truly the, the way to, to have a good life and to, to have a good career.
0: And uh, I've got a million more questions I'd love to ask, but I've obviously got to let you have your time and and enjoy your, your real life and not listening to my horrible accent. My last question for you... How do you analyze yourself? One thing I've noticed a lot with anyone creative is they tend to fall into one of two um, camps with this. They're either incredibly over complimentary to themselves and almost to the point of delusional, or they are so self-hating and so self-loathing that they they are unable they are unable to see the positives in what they do. How do you how do you as, as a professional especially analyze your work and analyze your your progress in terms of your improvement? against trends that are obviously always maneuvering around photographers. How do you, how do you analyze yourself?
1: Well, you know, I think the thing that amazes people the most about me is how humble that I am. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Um, You know, that, that is something it's, I, you know, I think it's incredibly difficult for, for people to analyze themselves and, and people are, uh, better or worse than others about it. And I, I, I feel like through experience, I feel like I have become uh I've developed tools that make me a little bit better than most at that but the important thing is that everyone including myself thinks that they are better than they are at that and so it really 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 is important to have uh, to have outside voices in in this and, and I have an outside voice every day because I work with my partner Tatiana who uh, has um, you know she has some some similar philosophies but also some very different philosophies and so we kind of um, you know, and is is again completely unafraid to call me out on things, um, and you know, call me out on one like you know last night, and I'm still thinking about it. Um, but you always, and as I mentioned before, like uh, I was lucky to, um, you know, to to start in a place uh, in journalism in a professional field because I had editors who would had no reason to pander or cater to me. And if they didn't like something, they would very strongly tell you. Um and and that, that was the job. And I had to learn uh you know to uh to please them. And uh, and also and it's not just likes on an Instagram page or, or anything like that. It is it is your job to, to go out and produce every day. Uh and then you know working through you know to, to to art school and a very different kind of thing where um i mean i i with those kinds of people i i had one uh there was one moment where another student said uh I, you know i'm looking at this your work on this project and it and it makes me i hate it so much it makes me physically ill <laughs> and wow. i you know i didn't I did not take it well in the in the moment i mean i didn't i mean we had other people who like uh stormed out of class and things and critiques like that but um i uh and it wasn't that she you know she wasn't in, you know entirely necessarily right people are not never entirely right, but it was the way that she felt and she had reasons for the way that she felt and and, and I had to understand that and to understand why the same work that other people liked really, really rubbed this person the wrong way. And, uh, you know, I had to, but like to have those voices. Um, One of the things that I was really lucky about uh, as an early photographer is um, I I had people around me who were not wedding photographers, uh, but were more similar to my client base. I think it is actually um, incredibly valuable to get, like, not just Instagram, but like in-depth Portfolio critiques from people who are not and do not want to be photographers, uh, but are maybe a little bit more similar to the kinds of people you're photographing. Um, so that because the things that they will call out as what they like and the things that they will call out for what they don't like will be something you know entirely, entirely different, but really, really very valuable and helps you sort of you know get get your head out of you know, photography world where, for example, somebody would be like, oh my gosh, like that's a Brandheiser method and it, you must have used so many images that so that makes it good. And, and whereas somebody who's not a photographer at all might just say like, wow, those people look really uncomfortable. Um, and, right. and so, and, and that's actually an incredibly valuable critique. Uh, you know, uh, you learn in, in, in some ways, almost like these are the most valuable critiques uh, for you know, who are the people who are like your clients uh, for wedding photography.
0: Again, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. What we always do at the end, um, and I'm not sure if it's something you'd be too excited about, but I always try to do it is to make sure that we uh, tell everyone listening where they can go to find your work. So where's the best place people can go to see what you do?
1: Um, well, I still, I am, there is, I am loathe to, uh, to tout anything that is owned by Mark Zuckerberg um, and I hate being tethered to him. So I, I would love for you to go to our actual website, which is Uh We are also on Facebook and Instagram as the Brenizers, but like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is a poisonous toxic person and everything that he touches turns to poison. So, uh, um, hey, let's take it old school and, and go to thebrenheisers.com, look through, look through blog posts and long stories the way like it used to be done. And, uh, and we would be really uh, incredibly grateful.
0: It's been such a pleasure to talk to uh, such a, It's I can't even sum it up. It's been, it's been, uh, I've been a bit terrified, actually. I don't think I've really slept. Um, but it's, it's such an honor to talk <laughs> to you. Thank you so much for, uh, for giving me the time
1: okay well i i honestly this was such a pleasure and and thank you so much and i was really really happy to be on here